Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. که نجات میبخشد و میرهاند و کارهای شگفتانگیز در آسمان و زمین انجام میدهد اوست که دانیال را از چنگ شیران نجات داد always gets you guys, huh? Always gets you guys. Welcome to South Valley. My name is Ricky Hemi. Thanks for worshiping with us today. I want to say thanks again to Chris for coming out here and leading us today. And welcome to the staff. We're grateful for you and for Jenny and for your entire family. Hey, so we only have two weeks left in our sermon series on Daniel, Life in the Den, and then we're going to take a little break through the summer. We're going to do a summer uh, series in the book of Psalms, and then we're going to go back to Daniel season two starting this fall. So that's what's ahead for you guys, but we want to finish this half of the book really well. Thanks for joining us, by the way, online. So good to have you. Uh, So today, today's sermon is kind of a, a challenging one. Last week, Jonathan preached. The week before that, Seth preached. They both did a very good job. Thank you guys for filling in the pulpit. You guys did awesome. Great job. And last week was challenging because, because uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a hard word from the Lord. He had a hard word from Daniel. Well, today's passage is another hard word. And I want to be upfront and honest with you. Today's sermon is a challenging sermon. Have any of you ever been forced to deliver bad news to somebody? Okay, if you've ever been forced to deliver bad news, you know how it feels, especially if you like that person. It is hard to deliver bad news. Before I was a pastor, I worked for my dad. We had a business, and he, we still have this business. It's called Hemi Hay and Feed, uh, an amazing business. Get to, get to supply hay for horses all over California and for dairies and all that good stuff. And uh, I got to do deliveries and run the warehouse and help with employees. And it was a really fun job, and, and my dad still runs the business today, and it's an awesome business. But because my dad was the owner, everybody in the company assumed, I worked with all the guys, everyone assumed that if something bad happened, that Ricky would be the one to go tell dad the bad news. And I'm like, guys, come on, man up. If you you crashed the truck, you tell him. Don't make me tell him. If you ran into a, 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 a rack of feed with the forklift, you tell him. Don't make me tell him. But they always came, hey, he's your dad. You deliver the bad news. Like, come on, aren't you our friend? Come on, pal. Like, don't you love us? And I would get, I would get roped into this over and over again. I was such a sucker for this. And so I said, okay, fine. So I was always the bearer of bad news. Hey, dad, I'm really sorry. We lost half of the load on the freeway. We didn't tie the truck down. Sorry. Or, hey, Dad, uh, I'm really sorry, but, uh, you know, th- there were too many buffalo at this, at this uh, delivery, and so we just 
untight, unloosened the straps and hit the gas pedal and dropped everything in the field. Like, uh, and he's like, what is wrong? With, why do I hire you guys? Okay, so that was me. I was always having to deliver the bad news to my dad because no one wanted to bring the bad news to the boss man. And I was brave enough to say it like it was because I was his son. Well, our temptation when delivering bad news is to hold back the facts and to soften the bad news a little bit, to soften the message. But good messengers aren't afraid to deliver the mail. Good messengers don't hold back the truth. They don't hold back the facts. They're not afraid to say hard things. And sometimes as Christians, you and I are going to be tempted to soften the facts, especially if those facts are offensive. And we're living in a culture where Christianity is becoming more and more offensive. And so the temptation at times is to soften the offense, to soften the facts. But one thing believers need to remember, and this is something I want you to remember today, this is a challenge, and the only reason I'm bringing it is because we see it in the passage, and it's this. We don't write the mail, we just deliver it. I didn't write the scriptures. God did. My job is to declare what God has already said. Now, here's the thing I want you to know. Most of the messages that you hear delivered from Christians, most of the time, that message will be gospel. That message will be good news. Okay, we are proclaimers of the gospel. Can I get an amen? amen. So the, the cool thing about being a Christian, you and I have a message of good news. That's why we shouldn't be afraid to talk about Jesus. Jesus is good news. He's, it's a message of life, a message of hope, a message of forgiveness, a message of mercy, a message of new beginnings. You and I as Christians, we proclaim a gospel of good news. Don't be afraid to proclaim the good news. And most of the time when you come here to South Valley, you are going to hear great news. And my hope for you is that you will leave with hope and joy and love and everything that you need to face the weak. But sometimes you're going to hear convicting news. Sometimes you're going to hear hard news. In today's passage, Daniel is forced to deliver hard, convicting news to a wicked king. In Daniel chapter 5, we're introduced to a new king in the story, and it's King Belshazzar. King Belshazzar. Belshazzar, just so you know, he was the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he was the vice regent to the throne. He only ruled when his father, Nabonidus, was away. So when his father was away, he was in charge. And when you think of Belshazzar, King Belshazzar, this is what I want you to think of, spoiled rotten. This was Belshazzar. He had a rich grandfather who had everything, and then his father before him had everything, and he grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth, and he had everything that he wanted, but instead of using his blessings to bless others and make an impact in the world, he actually squandered everything that he had through lavish living and crazy parties. That was Belshazzar. King Nebuchadnezzar accomplished great things. Belshazzar's dad did some pretty cool things. Belshazzar, though, spoiled rotten. He, he spent his time partying. And so today's sermon is titled Party in Babylon. Party 
in Babylon. Let's pray and jump into it. Turn in your Bibles now to Daniel chapter 5, starting in verse 1. I'm going to pray and we'll jump into the text. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for a chance to worship you, to refocus on you. I thank you, God, that we get to be heralds of good news. But when the news is hard, help us to herald that as well. And I pray right now as we open up your word and we see this challenging passage, Daniel, he could have softened the news, but he said the truth. I pray that we would not be afraid of the truth because you are the truth and the truth will set us free, your word says. Bless this gathering, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Daniel 5, starting in verse 1, this is what it says, King Belshazzar, this new king, he made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. Okay, this guy likes to party, massive parties. And he drank wine in front of the, the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, this is his grandfather, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from the vessels. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. That is King Belshazzar. In Daniel chapter 5, King Belshazzar, he hosts this massive party and he invites all of his friends and it was quite a party. It says that he summoned 1,000 of his nobles plus their wives, plus their servants, plus their concubines. And so it's estimated that about 16,000 people were gathered for this party. Okay, all of Lemoore invited to this party. This was a massive party. The palace roared with laughter, wine flowed freely, everyone was living it up. It seemed like they were on top of the world, but this was no harmless party. This was no regular celebration because this was a naughty party. This was a drinking party that turned into full-blown debauchery. Now, in these days, men and women, they would usually separate at some point in the evening to join in their own activities. You get this in the book of Esther, who came right after Daniel. They separate at some point in the evening, especially when the wine starts flowing. But here we had the rich nobles and the wives and the concubines and lots of alcohol, everyone mingling together. And what I read in history books about parties like this is that these are very naughty, naughty parties. And if I was to describe them to you, this sermon would be X-rated, so I'm not going to do that. This was a naughty party. Now, just a warning. It's easy for a good time to turn into debauchery. It's easy. Debauchery is excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. It is easy. If we're not careful, we could go to a party with good intentions, and we can leave that party having committed debauchery. Debauchery is something that we actually see in our own culture today. We have a habit in our culture of turning parties, turning celebrations, turning holidays into reasons to get hammered. Full-blown debauchery. 
And, and I'm saying this because I just want to warn you that this is a temptation. My friends, my best friends, they all went to San Diego State, and they were in a fraternity. And so my best friends, and I love them, and I'm close to them, and many of them are walking with the Lord now today. Can I get an amen? Okay, many of them are walking with the Lord today. But let me just tell you this. In this fraternity, you give them a reason to celebrate. It could be Groundhog's Day. And they're going to pull out ping pong balls and red solo cups, and they're going to turn it into a party. That's the culture we live in. I want to warn you guys, and I know that you guys don't participate in naughty parties, but if you have, or if you do, or if you were at one last night, there's grace, there's forgiveness, but be careful. Because a good time could easily turn into one of these parties. This wasn't just... This was a naughty party. Now, now, wise kings, wise people in general, they show self-control at parties. Proverbs says this, It's not for kings, O Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. The message for kings and leaders back in this day was, hey, if you go to a party, exercise self-control. Well, Belshazzar was a king with no self-control. Not only was this a naughty party, this was also a foolish party. The reason it was a foolish party is because you know what was happening outside the walls of Babylon the moment they were drinking this wine and, and being with these women and doing this stuff? You know what was happening outside of Babylon? An army was gathering. The Medes and the Persians we talked about the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the head of gold, the arms of silver, right? They knew that one day another kingdom would come, the Medes and Persians, and overthrow Babylon. Well, the Medes and the Persians were actually sieging, they were besieging the town. They were besieging Babylon at this moment. The king knew this, the warriors knew this, the nobles knew this. The Medes and Persians were gathered outside the walls, but they didn't care. You know why they didn't care? Because they believed that they were in an, an, an impenetrable city. You see, everybody in the days of Babylon, they believed that Babylon was like the Titanic. This ship can't sink. Everyone said that. Everyone believed that. And, and for good reason. Okay, the, the walls of Babylon stretched 50 miles. They were 90 feet thick. Uh, they were about 100 feet tall. Okay, you could raise chariots across the walls. They also had gardens within Babylon, so they had provisions, anything that you would need. You could survive in Babylon. If, a, if an enemy came and encamped outside of Babylon, you can survive for years within the walls. And they also had a river, the Euphrates River, running through the city of Babylon. And so this king, he's like, you know what? It doesn't matter what our enemies are doing. We're going to party. This was a foolish party. He had a lot of confidence in himself. He had a lot of confidence in the walls. But this party also went one step further because it was a sacrilegious party. This party wasn't just naughty. It wasn't just foolish. It was held in order to mock the gods and to mock in particular the God of heaven. You see, this king was so arrogant 
that he believed that his walls would protect him and that his gods were greater than the gods of Medo-Persia and the gods of every other kingdom that had been conquered by his grandfather. And so at the middle of this party, at the height of the party, he calls for gold and silver goblets that had been stolen from the temple in Jerusalem. And he says, hey, you know those, those goblets that my grandfather took? Let's turn those into our wine glasses for the night. And so he poured his wine in those goblets, goblets made for the worship of God in the temple of God, holy goblets for God, and he poured his wine in them, and he praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and wood and stone. Belshazzar mocked God. Naughty party, foolish party, sacrilegious party. So what happened? Well, immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared. That'll sober you up real quick, okay? Human hand appears and writes on the plaster of the wall. We think we know exactly what wall this was written on. We have excavations of this scene of where this was at. We think we know what wall this was on, a wall that everyone would have seen. This, there's writing on this wall in the king's palace opposite the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. Okay, he, he went full-blown like Elvis Presley on them as soon as he saw this hand. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers, the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, here we go again, calling in the wise men. We've seen this over and over and over again in the book of Daniel. Has any wise men ever helped in any story in Daniel? One wise man, anybody? No, except for Daniel, right? So he calls these guys, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation will be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. I will bling you out if you could tell me what I just saw. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make, known, make it known to the king. Many people think it was maybe written in, in Hebrew, which is why they probably couldn't write it. The king, then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. And his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. Everyone who saw it was, what, what is going on? The queen, this is the queen mother, probably his, his mother or his grandmother, Nebuchadnezzar's wife, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. She wasn't there. She knew, I don't attend naughty parties like that. But she came in when she heard something was going down. And she said, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit of, he had an excellent spirit of knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. They were all found in this person, Daniel. He was about 80 years old now at this point in the story, about 80 years old whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Have you guys ever heard the phrase or used the phrase, the writing on the wall? Okay, this is where that phrase comes from. There are phrases that we use in just kind of everyday language that we actually, they came from the Bible. This is, one of those mo this is one of those phrases. The writing on the wall is a phrase or an expression, an idiom of, of doom or misfortune. It's used when it's obvious that something bad is about to happen. I haven't lost my job yet, but the writing is on the wall. 
Now, some people, they see the writing on the wall as a warning, and they decide in that moment to change their ways. They see the writing and like, okay, that's too far for me. I need to straighten up. I need to turn this thing around. I need to change. And they change. Other people see the writing on the wall, and they continue in their folly. They continue to do what they have always done. Well, Belshazzar, he didn't know what the writing meant, but he could sense that it was bad news, that it wasn't good. He turned pale, his knees knocked, his thoughts horrified him. He sobered up really quickly in that moment. And at, the, at one moment, he was mocking God, thinking he was untouchable, while in the next moment, he stopped dead in his tracks by just God's finger. Okay, this isn't the only time that we see divine handwriting in Scripture. The finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments on stones of tablet for Moses. Jesus wrote in the sand when, the, when the, the religious leaders were about to throw stones at the adulterer, he wrote in the ground. Jesus cast out demons by what? The finger of God. God scared Pharaoh and overturned Egypt by what? Just his finger. One thing I want you to see, it doesn't matter how big or powerful or amazing a ruler seems to be or how untouchable something seems to be, it only takes one finger from God to topple it. The finger of God can topple an entire kingdom. Well, Belshazzar, his response to the finger of God shows where he placed his confidence because it's what he says. He says, whoever you know, reads this writing and shows me its interpretation, it will be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around their neck and they'll be third in the kingdom. He says, hey, if you can show me what this is, I will hook you up. What he did is what he always relied on to fix his problems. He thought that money could fix his problems. Show me the interpretation, tell me what it means, and I'll give you a chain like T-Pain and I'll put you third in charge in the kingdom. Okay, this was an extravagant promise made out of desperation because when nobody could help him, the queen mother had to step in and reminded him of a forgotten interpreter, a man named Daniel now in his 80s. Now, why? Why did Daniel stand out above the rest of the wise men? That's the question. And here's a big takeaway that I hope you're seeing every week in this series, and it applies to your life, and it's this. Daniel lived by the Spirit of God. You and I have a choice in this life. What spirit will we live by? What, who will dictate the direction of our lives? You can live by the Spirit of God, or you can live according to your flesh and the desires, sensual desires, debauchery of your flesh. You can live by the Spirit of Jesus, or you can live by the Spirit of Babylon. You have a choice. Some of you here today, you came to church this morning, and you're wondering, why is my life upside down? Why are things like so sideways? Why are things so hard? Why am I dealing with so many problems? Well, for you, maybe it's because you've been living by the spirit of Babylon. You've been doing everything that God is actually against, and then you expected him in the long term to bless you in everything that you were doing. God is calling you to stop living by the spirit of this world and to start living by the spirit of God because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Can I get an amen? South Valley. The spirit of Babylon will trap you. You'll have false confidence 
in yourself and your abilities, a false confidence in your bank account, a false confidence in other people, human systems, you will put, you will think that you are protected by your walls. But every wall can be breached. And every wall is destroyed in the presence of God because God is the only firm foundation. He is the only rock that will never fail. And so I want to challenge you, South Valley, be filled by the Spirit of God. If you're filled by the Spirit of God, you will stand out. You will stand out. Daniel stood out from the rest because he didn't live by the Spirit of Babylon. He lived by the Spirit of God. And so what did the Spirit reveal to him? Well, this is where Daniel was bold. Sometimes God's going to call you to do this. And this doesn't feel good. This is not something to take pride in. That you, you, I delivered a harsh word, a hard word for somebody. This, this is, Daniel was not trying to get in between Belshazzar and God. He just said, hey, God's got a message for you, and you deal with it what you want, but this is the message. I'm just the mailman. He writes the mail. So this is what he said, filled with the Spirit of God. Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles. This is kind of demeaning. He's like, you're like the guy that my father kidnapped, right? One of those exiles of Judah whom the king and my father brought from Judah. I've heard of you, that the Spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. He heard it because his mom just told him that. Now the wise men... The enchanters have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me the interpretation, but they could not show me the interpretation of the matter. But I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can, read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. You'll be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. This is the third time he said this, okay? He's all about his gold chains, okay, and his purple clothes, Because he thinks that, you know what, that's what everybody wants. The spirit of Babylon, the world we live in, all people want is a gold chain and a purple robe, and then they're happy. It's very shallow. Listen to how Daniel responds. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. Usually when Daniel talks to the king, he's very gentle. He's very kind. He says things like, King, I hope this, doesn't, this isn't true of you. He, there, he has this respect. He respected Nebuchadnezzar. He probably respected this guy's father. But he sees this grandson squandering his life through parties. And I think he's just like, he has zero respect for this guy. Let your gifts be for yourself. I don't need your chain or your robe. Give your rewards to somebody else. Nevertheless... I'll read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Because of the greatness that he gave him, all people's nations and language trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. Whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down. We heard this last week from Jonathan and from Seth. He was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him and he was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind. 
And he's the one who sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, you saw this. You saw what happened to your grandpa. You saw what happened to your father. His father at this time was actually captured by the Medo-Persians. That's the only reason why this guy was even ruling in, this, in the first place. You have seen everybody before you humbled. You've seen it. But you haven't humbled your own heart. You see, sometimes sin is generational. It's cyclical. The sins of the father are passed down to the son. The sins of the son are passed down to the grandson. And you look back over your family tree and you see the same things repeated over and over and over and over again. Why? Because you've been captured by the spirit of Babylon. Do you know who can break that cycle? Do you know who can actually set you free from generational sin passed down from one person to the other? Do you know who can actually free you and break the chain and break the habit and break the, the addiction? The only one who could do it is the Spirit of God. And the only way to get the Spirit of God is to worship the Son of God. Do you have the Spirit of God? Here we go again. They're doing the same things that they've always done, and they're expecting a different result. What do we call that? Insanity. But you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house, you took the sacred vessels, and you brought them in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them as if they don't even matter. You mocked God. And you've praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which don't see, it's pointless, or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your very breath. Chris talked about this today. We should be grateful for even just the breath in our lungs. The God in whose hand is your very breath and whose are all your ways. Everything you have has been from him. You have not honored him. Daniel delivers a very blunt, very hard message to the king. You see, Daniel, he understood his role. He wasn't called to belittle the king. He still respected the king with his words, but he said it straight like it was. He also knew that his job in Babylon was not to become rich and powerful. So he wasn't interested in the king's rewards. He was interested in one thing and one thing only, and that was to speak the truth of God even when it's hard. And so he told the truth. And he accused Belshazzar of three sins. He said, Belshazzar, you know why you're having problems? You know why this is happening? You know why judgment is upon you? Here's why. Number one, you're arrogant. You have pride. Now, it's easy to look at Belshazzar and be like, man, yeah, he is proud. But you and I, guess what we all struggle with? Pride. Becoming our own gods, exalting ourselves above God. One thing, if we want the Spirit of God in our lives, we have to see our own pride. He said, you're arrogant. That's why this is happening. Number two, you've mocked God. That's why this is happening. You are drinking out of the vessels. Nebuchadnezzar didn't even do that. You mocked 
God. And number three, you haven't learned from the past. You've heard the story of your grandpa. You know the story of your dad. You know all these stories, and you've done nothing about it. You're doing the same thing that you've always seen done. You have, you're arrogant. You mock God. You haven't learned. And so Belshazzar, my message for you, I'm sorry, this is a tough one, but this is the truth. You've crossed the line. That's the message. You've crossed the line. And so here's the hard part about today's sermon. Usually I said we talk about good news at South Valley because we believe that Jesus is good news. But sometimes to understand the good news, we have to understand the bad news. The bad news is that God has a line, and you don't want to cross it. God has a line. He's gracious. He's loving. He's merciful. He's patient. So very patient. Did I say that God is patient? He is patient and loving and faithful and merciful and gives chance after chance after chance after chance, but he has a line. And this shouldn't shouldn't surprise us because we all have a line. How many times have you said, all right, that's, that's enough. You have finally crossed the line. Have you ever said that? We have a line. God has a line. My kids have a line. All right, so I have two kids. I have a daughter named Blake, a son named John. John is six. Blake is seven. Blake's very mature. John is not. And they play together. And Blake has to deal with, she loves her brother. But sometimes her brother, as fun and exciting as he can be, he is crazy energetic, and he is sometimes, in her eyes, crazy annoying. Okay? You're saying it like it is. Uh, And so there are times where John crosses the line. Like, John, I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to love you. You could play with me. You could hang out in my room. But hey, if you touch my music, you cross the line. Or if you make a mess out of my room, you cross the line. Or if you pick your nose in front of me and eat your boogers in front of me, you cross the line. That's an appropriate line, right? That is an appropriate line. Johnny knows that line very well, and he loves to cross it, okay? We all have a line. When Johnny crosses Blake's line, okay, Johnny's the wrestler in the family. Blake is the striker in the family. And so Johnny could wrestle you down, but when you cross Blake's line, she will let you have it. And I've never once told her, you're not allowed to punch your brother when he crosses the line. Because if he wiped a booger on my mirror, I would maybe punch him too, okay? I don't know. I wouldn't do that, but I would not be happy. So, God has a line. He has a line that you don't want to cross. And some of us have made a habit of crossing God's line. We've made a habit of crossing God's line. We know the line is there. We ignore the line. We think that it doesn't apply to us. We think that we could get away with it. We think that it's just, it's okay. Everybody else is doing it. The spirit of Babylon reigns in us, and we cross the line. We make a habit of crossing the line, and God gives us chance after chance after chance after chance, but we reject his grace. We scorn his mercy, and so one day, if we continue to cross the line, we will be faced with the writing on the wall. That's the hard message today. Are you crossing God's line? He's going to give you another chance. He's going to forgive you. 
He's going to wash you. Doesn't matter how far. You're like, man, I have that line. I crossed that a long time ago. Doesn't matter. He will give you grace. He will show you mercy. He will love you and forgive you. If you confess your, your sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. He will wash you white as snow. But you have to acknowledge that you crossed the line. God was patient with Babylon. All the way back in the book of Isaiah, almost 200 years before this event in Daniel chapter 5, God prophesied through Isaiah what would happen to Babylon if they continued to cross the line. He says this in Isaiah 13, 17. This is 750 B.C. He says, Behold, I'm stirring up the Medes against Babylon, the, the very nation outside their walls, who have no regard for silver and don't delight in gold. They don't care about money like you guys do. All they care about is power and blood and control. That is what they care about. And I'm stirring them up against you if you continue to cross the line. Their bows will slaughter the young men. They'll have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. And their eyes will not pity your children. I'm telling you, if you continue to cross the line, I'm letting go. I'm letting go of this nation. And they are going to take charge of your life. And, and, and the writing now is on the wall. God was slow with Babylon. He was slow with Nebuchadnezzar. He used Daniel to interpret his dreams. He used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego inside the fire as proof that God is the, the true God of heaven. And, and he saw that. He, he, he got more dream interpretation in Daniel chapter 4 with the tree, but still Nebuchadnezzar crossed the line. And so when he crossed the line, he was humbled. Belshazzar should have learned from his grandfather, but he committed the same sins. He crossed the line, and so now the writing was on the wall. And so what was God's judgment for Belshazzar? Well, it wasn't just a judgment for Belshazzar. It was actually judgment for the entire nation. Because the entire nation had made a habit of crossing God's line. It doesn't just judge individuals. He sometimes judges entire nations. And so what happens here? Then from his presence, the hand was sent and the writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you've been divided. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, and a chain of gold was put around his neck, and, pro and a proclamation was made that he was going to be third in charge, third ruler in the kingdom. But that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom, being about 60 two years old. Now, the most famous military scene in all of history was the Trojan horse at Troy. You guys know this scene, right? They snuck the soldiers into the horse, brought it into the city. This was their way of penetrating the, an impenetrable city, and they, they take down Troy. Well, the, the second most famous military tactic in all of history is this scene right here. Because what happened in, in, on October 11, 539 B.C., the Medes and the Persians, they joined forces, they encircled the city, they drained the Euphrates River, they dropped the water level, and they passed under the wall into the city of Babylon. 
Everyone was partying. Everyone was living it up. They got a message from God. The writing was on the wall. They drained, they, 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 they made the river go in a different direction, diverted the river, went right under the walls. And in the, the city of Troy, we don't even know if that actually happened, but every historian on the planet knows that this actually happened. And it is one of the most famous military scenes in history. They walk right into the city while everybody is partying and Belshazzar and all his nobles are drunk and they're slaughtered. And all of a sudden now the Medes and the Persians, the kingdom of silver is now in control. It was the end of arguably the greatest dynasty on earth. God said through the writing on the wall that their days were numbered. Hey, your time is up. God said through the writing on the wall, hey, you've been weighed and you've been found lacking. This is, means they were morally corrupt. The, the, the picture is of scales. And on one side of the scale is, is everything that is good and righteous and holy and just, the character of God. And Belshazzar and his kingdom, they were placed on the other side of the scale. And when they were placed on the other side of the scale, when they were weighed up to the goodness of God, what they saw on the scale was the scale didn't even move. They were so morally corrupt, they were so far gone, their culture had so dissipated that they had been weighed and been found lacking. They were light, and so at that moment, they were divided. They'd been placed on the scales. Their day of judgment had come. God is merciful, God is loving, God is gracious, but God is also judge. And so what we see in this story is this, if God is not your savior, if Jesus is not your savior, then Jesus will in fact be your judge the message. God judged the nation. God judges individuals. The hard thing with God's judgment is that on one side of the scale is perfection, and on the other side of the scale is you. And so you think, okay, I'll make up for this. I'll start going to church, and maybe the scale will change. I'll start doing good things. Maybe the scale will change. I'll clean up. I won't say those four-letter words anymore. Maybe the scale will change. I won't yell at my kids anymore. Maybe. And you do this, and you do that, and you try hard, and you follow rules, and you obey, and you try to earn God's love, and you try to stand out, and you try to make up for your wrongs. But guess what happens to the scale with everything that you do and everything that you add to it? Guess what happens with the weight? Nothing. You know why? God is perfect. We are not. And so the only way for the scales to balance out is for God to put his thumb on the scale. And do you know how God puts his thumb on the scale? He puts his thumb on the scale the moment you say, God, I can never measure up. God, I have blown it, I've messed up, I've made mistakes, I've crossed the line, will you forgive me? I can never atone for my sins, I can never be perfect, I can never make myself right with you, I am lost. I, that's what Belshazzar should have done when he saw the writing on the wall. He should have confessed, he should have repented, he should have said, I am lost, and maybe God would have leveled out those scales, but he continued in his arrogance, he continued in his sin, but here's the good news for me and you today, yes, God is a judge, but he's a, a, a gracious God, and he offers 
grace in light, in, in the face of judgment. And here's the thing. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. He will look at your sins. He will remove your sin and he will put his righteousness on the, the weight and you will be accepted in God's sight. That is the gospel, friends. That's the good news. The good news is only good when we see the bad news first. Bad news is you can't do it. The good news, Jesus did it. The bad news, you can't make up for your sins. The good news, Jesus lived a perfect life for you. The bad news is if you died today, you would pay for your sins forever. The good news, Jesus went to the cross and died for you so that you can live with God forever. Jesus levels out the scale. God was ready to level out the scale with Nebuchadnezzar, ready with Belshazzar, he's ready with you. Are you ready for him? You're not ready though until you say, yeah, I crossed the line. Yeah, I did what everybody else was doing. Yeah, I looked just like this family member and that family member before me and I'm doing the same things. And honestly, if I'm being real with myself today, if I look at God's word and I see the truth and I stop explaining things away, this is true and what I believe is false and I need to line myself up with God. God, will you forgive me and change me and help me? And this is gonna be a process. This is a journey. This, this doesn't happen overnight, but you will begin to see God's grace, God's spirit at work in you. And in that moment that you confess and believe, you are accepted in God's sight. You are forgiven and whole. So in conclusion, let me give you just quick ways real quick to apply today's message. Number one, remember God, God's not finished with you. He's not finished with you. I don't care what you've done, how far you've fallen away. He's not done with you. Daniel may have thought that, hey, I'm in my 80s. God can't use me anymore. God had him for this, this moment. And Daniel's story is not over because now he's gonna serve a new king. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm in my teens. God can't use me. I gotta be older. No, God can use you right where you're at. Maybe you're thinking, I did too much. I can't, I, 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 I had my chances. I blew it. God is not done with you. You know why? Because you're alive. It's not done with you. Number two, don't worry too much about fame and fortune in a perishing world. Daniel rejected the gifts of Babylon because he cared more about the kingdom that will last. He stored up his treasure in heaven. Where are you storing your treasures? Heaven or earth? And finally, number three, become comfortable with passages about judgment. We proclaim good news, but sometimes we need to be comfortable with the bad news because the bad news makes the good news even better. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, I pray that if there's anyone here today who is sensing your spirit at work in them, I pray that they would make a decision here and now to trust you. I pray that they would make a decision here and now in this place to follow you. They have crossed the line and they see that they've crossed the line and they are ready to make a change. They are ready to acknowledge their need. They are ready to surrender to you. Help them here in this moment to finally say, yes, I believe. 
yes, I surrender. And for that to happen, they, they may actually need to get on their knees. They may not actually need to lift up their voices. Whatever you're calling them to do, make them not afraid to respond to you. The writing is on the wall, but you offer grace and forgiveness and life eternal. Give them that life today, I pray in Jesus' name. Use them, change them, forgive them. And help us to be proclaimers of your truth, your gospel, your grace in this world to see the Spirit of God work in a culture that has been wooed by the Spirit of Babylon. We love and praise you, and we just lift up this last song to you today in worship. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.